Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands. But how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Diane Mary Child once said, A woman is the full circle. Within her is the power to create, nurture, and transform. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is the topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, are you a Mary or a Martha? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, so the question is a kind of an unusual question, especially for you and I, Jonathan. Are you a Mary or a Martha? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> All right, look, look, folks, let's face it. The Bible really does talk a lot about and focus a lot on men. Adam was created before Eve, Noah saved humanity, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. The prophets, Jesus, and the apostles, all men. So where does that leave the women of the Bible? The answer to this is actually astounding. The women of the Bible are left to quietly teach us some of the most powerful and significant lessons that the scriptures have to offer. Finding these lessons is like uncovering rare and telling archaeological artifacts that vividly reveal deep biblical truths. Such are the lessons we receive from Mary and Martha sisters of Lazarus, and close friends of Jesus. Their conversations with and actions towards Jesus speak volumes, not only of their importance in his life, but also of their abiding place in our lives as well. So, Jonathan, as we get this started, here's the thing. To understand the women of the Bible, we need to not only understand the culture of biblical times, but, Jonathan, I'm sure you'd agree, we need to hear it from the perspective of a woman. We sure do. So we wanted to be really safe on that. So today we have not one, but two special guests who will relay to us not only that ancient culture, but a present-day female understanding as well. Our second segment really is going to unfold this. Another question for you folks coming up. Have you ever thought of yourself as being scolded by Jesus? And in public, no less. How would you react? Martha experienced just that, and in our third segment, we're going to plow through the emotions and embarrassment to find the vital lessons that we can learn through her mistakes. You don't want to miss that. What if you suffered a great loss, and your friend Jesus could have stopped it, but didn't bother to show up in time to do so? Such was the trauma that both Mary and Martha experienced. In our fourth segment, we're going to reveal the raw emotion of their loss and what happened as a result. But first... It's odd to think about Jesus having close friends, but Mary and Martha were 
his close friends. There's a pointed detail in Scripture that shows us their importance, and we'll reveal that right here in this first segment. And to help us do that, Jonathan, who do we have with us? Well, we have Julie. She's hey, back. Julie. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. I am very happy to be on this program of all programs because we are going to talk about women. <laughs> yes. Yay. Okay. So, Julie, just very briefly, who are you? Well, I'm one of the CQ volunteers, and uh, I, I handle a lot of things with the website and producing the CQ Rewind. The CQ Rewind is the written transcript of every program, and you can get that online on your CQ app, or you can go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter at christianquestions.com, and you can get that every week as soon as it's available. And uh, that's, I, I do a lot of things here. So people know that I work with Christian Questions, and I was with a group of women at a Bible conference recently, and they asked me why Christian Questions has never done a program highlighting women in the Bible. And so I said, well, that can't be true. Well, they just did a program on um, <laughs> and yes, it was true. After 20 years of broadcasting, you've never done a single program talking about just a woman in the Bible. So a group of us decided to do the research, and we hope to bring many more lessons from women in the Bible because they really have profound meaning for both men and women today. So there was a coup, a spiritual <laughs> coup, and they took over the joint, and here we are. And I'll tell you, you know, in the preparation for this subject of Mary and Martha, it really is remarkable, the lessons. They are just, just remarkable. So, Julie, I'm glad you're excited to be here. Uh, you're always very valuable in your contributions. And we expect no less today. No pressure, kid. No pressure. Yeah. So, <laughs> and also, Julie, we are looking at creating a, I don't know if we want to call it a series, but women in the Bible, we want to explore many, many more of the women in the Bible. So folks, as you're listening, if you have a thought on who you'd like to hear about and why, we'd love to hear from you on that, just to sort of feed the fire, if you will. So let's get started with today's discussion, because this is a very, very powerful discussion. The first important point about these two sisters, Mary and Martha were sisters, uh, and the first is found in a detail of the theme scripture that Jonathan you read already. So just, let's go back to that Luke uh, 10, 41 and 42. That is our theme scripture. But there's a detail here that most of us overlook. And it's one of the most profound things you're ever going to hear. This is just awesome. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, so you say, okay, that's a scripture. Jesus is essentially scolding Martha. I mean, okay, what's so great about that? But here's the interesting thing. Jesus says Martha's name twice. Martha, Martha. Why repeat the name? Is it a common biblical practice? And the answer is no. It's only done 10 times in the entire Bible. And I never realized that before we got to this particular study. So, Jonathan, let's just breeze through what those 10 times are. We're just, we're, and, and then, Julie, we'll, we'll turn it over to you for some comments and just begin to put it in perspective. Abraham, Abraham from Genesis 22. Jacob, Jacob from Genesis 46. Moses, Moses from Exodus 3. Samuel, Samuel, from 1 Samuel 3. Martha, Martha, Luke 10. Simon, Simon, Luke 22. Saul, Saul, in Acts 9. 
and Lord, Lord in Matthew 7 and in Luke 6. And this is interesting, Rick. This is from a parable. Yes. And then there's two more. Eloi, Eloi, which is in Mark 15 and Matthew 27 and Psalms 22. And Jerusalem, Jerusalem from Matthew 23 and Luke 13. Okay, so we've got those 10 times. Julie, just give us some of your initial thoughts on what, what, what do you see here? What, what's been uncovered thus far? Well, you know, we could do a study just on this list of 10, but take a look at what we have here. Abraham, Abraham. This is when God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac because the comparison picture had been made of God sacrificing his son, Jesus, and it didn't need to go any further in the literal picture. Moses, Moses was when God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, which only happened once in the history of the world. And Saul, Saul, Jesus was calling out the conscience of who would soon become the great apostle Paul. These are momentous events. And it even includes Jesus himself on the cross calling out to our heavenly father. And of all the thousands of named people in the Bible, Martha makes the top 10. So to me, when I read this, it was like a giant arrow pointing at her saying, read me, something is important here. <laughs> you know, and so... Go ahead. Well, no, and, and, and something is, is deeply profound here because this sense of, and, and, and folks, we've got lots of notes on this in, in our C-Crew uh, Rewind document, so you want to take a look at that after the, after the podcast. But in, in the, the idea of the repeating of a name gives you a, a sense of importance and of intimacy and closeness. And when Abraham, you, you're right, when, when God's calling out to Abraham, it's because he loves him so very much. When Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to save you from the, the destiny that you've put yourself upon. He's showing that he is broken hearted. And, you know, it really strikes me in that parable. Uh, Jonathan, you mentioned that the Matthew 7, Luke 6 uh, parable says, you know, Lord, Lord. And that's the parable where uh, it's uh, they are... Um, saying, well, when did we see you poor and blind and naked and all of that? You know, we would have done something if we'd seen you. And, and, and Jesus is pronouncing a hard judgment there, but he's portraying those who were following him, but not wholeheartedly following him as really loving him. And I think that is a, is, is a very powerful uh, expression on his part to say, I get that you were attached and that's a good thing that you were attached, but you weren't doing what you were supposed to. And I think that the Martha, Martha, the Simon, that's Peter, Simon, Simon, Saul, Saul, this is the, 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 the glorified Jesus speaking to Paul on, uh, Saul on the, the road to, um, uh, to Damascus, uh, and Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is Jesus' words of deep concern to those whom he deeply loved. And Julie, you're right, Martha makes the list it's that's not a list that everybody's on you know there's only 10 on this list and god is included in that and jesus is included in that and there's a city included in that so really when you think about it there are seven individuals seven whose names are looked at with such attention and care so why martha and did you notice in that list there's only one woman Yes, it's Martha. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Right. It's not Mary Magdalene. It's not, you know, um, Re Rebecca. It's not all these greats that you there's Queen Esther. Right. It's Martha. 
Yeah. So something's in this story that we just have to investigate. And that's exactly what we are going to do. So let's, let's take another step further. And uh, we had mentioned at the very beginning we have uh, two, two special women who are with us, Christian women who are with us to help us with this. Julie, you folks have uh, all heard from Julie several times in the past. But we have someone else. So, Julie, why don't you introduce who else is with us? Okay, so I one of the one of the the ladies that I was speaking with in, back in the beginning when we first came up with this was Abigail, and Abby is with us today, and uh, Abby is also my cousin in full disclosure, and has done a lot of studying on women in the Bible, and so when we were talking. You know, she was really excited about this and really excited to bring something to Christian questions on her studies that she's had on this. And so, Abby, welcome to Christian Questions. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) You know, when we first talked about doing podcasts on women in the Bible, you told me, well, I'm going to research Abigail (laughs) because that's your namesake. But yet, when you um, gave us your notes, you changed your mind and focused on the stories of Mary and Martha. Why Why did you change? Um, well, the story of Mary and Martha is actually one I've wondered about for a long time, probably since back to when I was a teenager. And my mom and I would always talk about, why does everyone put Martha down all the time? It's just one instance where, uh, you know, she's kind of, corrected by Jesus to, you know, get her mind on the right track. But I wanted to study more to see if there was more to her than just that one instance. And I found her to be actually a hero of faith to me, rather than just someone who had one mistake that was recorded in the Bible. Yeah, it does seem to be that she gets kind of a bad rap about things. And it's always Mary that gets the focus. And so, but yet Mary's not the one in the top 10 list and Mary's not the one who's named as someone who Jesus loved. So it's, 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 it's interesting. We're glad that you brought this to us. Yeah. So, so Abby, um, you know, in, in doing this and putting yourself into this position of, of, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to learn this. How did you just how did you just go about finding out just for the sake of the average Christian who's listening saying, okay, how do you find things out about stuff like this? What kind of things did you do? Um, One of the first things I did was um, do some basic, like even YouTube videos and uh, to see what the most popular views were. But then I decided to look into maybe some alternate views, and I actually turned in, typed in alternate views to the story of Mary and Martha, and I found that the questions I had about Martha being more than just that one mistake was true. She is more than that, just like all of us are more than our mistakes. All right, and you know, and, and see, that's important, folks, because the idea is if you're curious about something scriptural, look into it. And, and, you know, try to find sources that you can look into and, and you can trust for, for some uh, valuable feedback. So we're going to work with Julie and Abby throughout this podcast and uncover the gems about Mary and Martha. And yes, Martha is a hero. She is absolutely a hero, and we're going to show you that. And Mary is no less of a hero because Martha's a hero, incidentally. The two of them are just, just wonderful in their example. So at the end of each segment, what we want to do is put on the table what we will call a Mary and Martha gem. It's just something from that segment to say it sort of wraps up 
where we are with that. So, Jonathan, what's our first Mary and Martha gem? Mary and Martha occupied significant space in the heart of Jesus. You know, we need to understand that. The fact that Martha is mentioned in that list of seven individuals whose names are mentioned twice because they're so important, it tells you that the heart of Jesus was thoroughly, thoroughly focused on her as a, as a vital human being in his life. And we cannot underestimate the power of that. So Martha is obviously a very special person to Jesus, and therefore to us, we must pay attention. How often do Mary and Martha appear in Scripture? What do their lives teach us about them and ourselves? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time. Then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. To begin looking at the women of the Bible by highlighting these two sisters will set an important scriptural foundation for us. When Jesus pays close attention to anyone or anything, we as Christians should not only take notice, but he immediately follow his example. Now we need to try and see what he saw. And that's really what we want to get to as we go into this, in, in, in throughout this entire podcast. We want, to, we want to look through the eyes of Jesus and observe what he saw, because Jesus always could see the deep and strong value in everyone and everything that was around him. And this, this story of Mary and Martha is no exception. So, so Mary and Martha, Jonathan, actually appear in three stories. That's right, Rick. The first in Luke 10, 38 through 41, this is where Martha was serving. Uh, the second is in John 11, and that was the raising of Lazarus, her brother. And third, it was in John 12, 1 through 8, Martha serves again. Mary anoints Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. Okay, those are the only three times that we see Mary and Martha uh, in Scripture. So let's focus on that first story right here, right now. So Jonathan, uh, we, this is our theme scripture is part of the story, but let's reread that theme scripture with a few verses uh, before it. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted, with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, so Julie, before we turn this over to you and Abby to take apart and just sort of observe, we want to just share a soundbite from, now this is from the book Moments with the Savior, correct? Yes, by the author Ken Geyer. Okay, and so our own Becca 
is is doing the reading on this, and it's going to tell you a little bit of the story uh, from a more dramatic perspective of what we just read. It's going to kind of lay the groundwork. We're going to go through two pieces uh, with the with with the uh, the soundbite to kind of lay some groundwork. We'll let you have you guys speak in between, and then we'll come back to the second part. But it just gives us a sense of the. Um, the emotion, what's what people are thinking. These are the this is the level that most of us don't ever get down to. So let's listen. Laying his head to rest in a home is a rare treat for Jesus, especially a home such as this. A home where he's recognized as Lord, a home where he is loved. Martha, the older sister and owner of the house, is first to answer. Her excitement echoes throughout the house. Mary, Mary, come quick. It's Jesus. Mary darts to the door to greet him. Immediately, they tend to his needs. Martha brings him a fresh drink of water. Martha, so eager to serve, energetic, first to roll up her sleeves and pitch in to help, last to leave until every dish is cleaned and put away, up early. And Mary? Well, she's up about 30 minutes later. She likes to cook, but doesn't like to clean up the mess. Perceptive, asks few but thoughtful questions, is a good listener sensitive and calm. While Mary takes Jesus' sandals and washes his weary feet, Martha busies herself in the kitchen. Both are intently listening to him speak about the disciples. As Mary finishes her duty, she lays aside the basin of water and the wash rag. She resumes sitting at his feet. The three times you see Mary in the scripture, that is where she is, at the Savior's feet. Her physical posture reflects the posture of her heart, humble, reverent, teachable all the qualities of a good disciple. And there she sits, drinking in every word that pours so sweetly from his lips. But torn between conversation and her many preparations, Martha's attention is drawn to the kitchen. Here she readies her feast. Nothing like a hot meal for a weary traveler and nothing but the best for Jesus. Okay, Julie, take it. Well, you know, what's interesting about this story is that when Jesus visits this home, he visits the same home, and it's Martha's home uh, three times. And so that just tells me right off the bat that this is somewhere where he feels comfortable. It's secure. He's he's comfy with this family. You know, he he, he feels loved and, and welcome. And they're just a very important little family. So we're looking now at Mary and Martha and the juxtaposition of the two. So, Abby, in your research, tell us a little bit about the cultural setting at this point for women. Um, culturally, at this time, women were expected to take more of a domesticated role. And I believe that's why Martha is so focused on preparing the meal and the home while Jesus was there. So the normal duties of a woman in Jesus's time were pretty restrictive. Uh, women had some freedom while in their home, but they had little to no authority and were considered inferior to men. So, you know, one of the things I saw in your notes is that you found this quote from the first century BC uh, from a rabbi Eliezer. And the first century BC is exactly when Jesus lived. So this was a contemporary quote that you found. What, what was that? Um, in that? Um, in that quote by Rabbi Eliezer, he says, which is pretty harsh, um, he says, rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah is like one who teaches her obscenity. I had heard that some sects of Judaism were like this before, but was really surprised of such an intense perspective on a woman being taught the Torah. 
You know, it's interesting because um, I, I I had the blessing of being able to go to Israel and we visited a synagogue, of an Orthodox uh, Jewish synagogue. And, you know, to this day, the women are very, very separated and the men don't even see them. Um, they're not even on the same level. Um, and so I think, you know, men and women's roles were very specific back then. So do you think it would have been scandalous for Mary to be where she was being taught by Jesus, you know, what, what, what would that have been like? I mean, I, I would think that it would be something that had been frowned upon. Um, I, I think it would probably have been looked down upon because uh, Jesus was frequently referred to as rabbi. And so if a rabbi is teaching um, in front of a group of people and there's a woman sitting at his feet, I'm sure people were kind of like, uh, Mary, what are you, what do you think you're doing here? You're supposed to be in the back listening, you know, in the back room. So she was kind of pushing social norms there. Not kind of, she was. And um, But Jesus doesn't really seem to react in the way that I think most people of the time would. Right, right. You, you know, the, the important thing here is that Jesus never reacted like most people of the time. And when you look at the way he treated those who were considered to be sinners, those who were considered to be the, the infidels within Israel, those, you know, like Matthew, the tax collector, he was, he was on the outside of the outside looking in. And Jesus goes and calls him to follow him. You know, you have many examples of Jesus going to the lepers, to, to those who were, were, were otherwise looked down upon, inviting them in. And so this is typical for Jesus, and perhaps that empowered Mary to see that this is, look, he doesn't act the way everybody else does. He treats everybody in a different way, in a higher way, and perhaps that gave her the sense of, I can trust him to be close to him. It still would be a really bold move, but I, I could see the, the, the value of, of Jesus' example giving her the strength. You know, that's why I think when you when you read this story, and, and again, because he kept coming to their house three times, I feel like there's got to be some sort of intimacy with him and this family, Yeah, you know, where she recognizes that it's not just some big, powerful man that can perform all these great things coming to my house. This is my friend's brother, and he makes me feel comfortable, and I, there's something about him that I can open up to and that I, I look up to. Yeah. Um, so the next soundbite, if you want to play the second half, now let's get into the, the rest of it. Okay. The rest of the story. Actually, Abby, did you have a, a thought you wanted to express before that next soundbite? Yeah. Um, I, I think that Jesus exuded this gentleness and love that was definitely not normal for most men to exude to everybody. And like you said, Rick, that he was very inclusive of who he asked to follow him. He that didn't exclude women. No, women were encouraged to listen. He never turned them away, and he never turned the children away. Yeah, and and as a matter of fact, there are several women that are mentioned as not only followers of his but supporters. And so, men, as you listen to this podcast about Martha and Mary, remember the attitude of Jesus toward them and toward all of those others that he drew to him. He was a magnet for people who wanted more from life. That's what he was. So, okay, let, let's go to the second part. And, and you were saying, Julie, that second, uh, second soundbite kind of gives you the, the, the Martha side, the, maybe the frustrated side here. 
and it's interesting. She's only mentioned three times, and she's remembered for this. Okay, and by the time this podcast is over, folks, we want to change your thinking about Martha. We want you to remember her for something far greater than what we're going to hear now. As she works the dough, she thinks of everything else that needs to be done. All she hears now is the sound of the voices, not the words. And the sound grates against her. I can't believe Mary isn't in here helping, she thinks. Martha pushes a fist into the dough. She should be in here another fist into the dough. We could get this done in half the time. She pulls and mashes, pulls and mashes while she mumbles. You know, I'd like to hear what he has to say too, but somebody's got to fix dinner. Martha reaches for some flour and throws it in the lump. They could at least come in here while they talk. She works the flour into the expanding loaf of dough. I can't believe he just lets her sit there. Another fist into the dough. Here I am at the kitchen, sweating, working my finger to the bone. Doesn't he care? Finally, she's had enough. Martha throws down the dough and stomps into the living room. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha is hot. She doesn't address Mary directly. She's too mad. She doesn't even call her by name. She refers to her as my sister. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He brings his point gently home. Fellowship with him is a matter of priorities, and a matter of choice. It's the better part of the meal life has to offer. It is, in fact, the main course. And what did Mary do? All she did was sit. It is where she sat that made the difference. Julie? You know, it's, it's, you can feel the frustration in Martha, but it's interesting that I thought that she didn't go to Mary privately. She didn't go to her and say, hey, you know, get in here. I need your help. She went right to Jesus. And that to me was pretty odd that you'd go to your guest to handle this family dispute. And um, so Abby, what were, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I agree that it was kind of a little bit of one of those awkward moments everyone kind of dreads at a, you know, dinner party <laughs> sort of like you wouldn't expect, uh, you know, your guests to get involved in a family bickering. And uh, but Jesus doesn't react with disgust or with surprise. And uh, I think Martha was probably comfortable enough to ask Jesus to correct uh, her sister because they have this uh, kind of a friendship, it seems like. You know, I was wondering if maybe part of this, like he went, she went to Jesus because she was trying to embarrass Mary. You know, um, you, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a private thing. Like sometimes if, if I'm if I'm mad at my mom, I'll call my sister and I'll say, you know, your mother did this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and here she's she won't even mention her name. She's just like my sister. You know, tell my sister, and she's fully expecting that Jesus is going to say, oh, well, Mary, you know, go, go help your sister. And so what I thought was also interesting is that Mary doesn't say anything. And this, this will come up again. Mary doesn't immediately defend herself. Jesus defends her. Um, and I think that this is a situation where Mary is comfortable that she is doing the right thing in her heart. And so she doesn't need to defend herself because she knows she's doing the right thing. So she lets Jesus speak for her. Um, but I just think that 
this is a tough one because you can understand why there'd be frustration. And even the most loving families bicker at times and this household was no exception. I think uh, there's probably some other views we can take too that, I mean, Martha could have been definitely at her wits end with all these people who just showed up at her house. It doesn't say that she had warning. It, and if you think it's not just Jesus, it's 12 disciples. And then probably there could have been a crowd following them because it seems like wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. So she is excited to have Jesus there, but then you have all these extra people and it's not like they had the modern conveniences we do. You can't just go microwave, you know, whatever. <laughs> you can't microwave bread. You got to make it from scratch, you know? So I think we can, I personally can relate to her that I would be overwhelmed and probably at a my boiling point if I wasn't getting the help that I thought I needed or deserved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she actually had some sort of, um, she was somewhat, I mean, I think as the women, we can see that she was somewhat justified in her frustration. And we'll get into a little bit more of what that frustration was. You know, Becca, who had read uh, the last segment, she also had a statement that she wanted to, that she wanted to have read. Jonathan? As average sinful people, I think it's really easy to see where Martha is coming from the perspective that she's doing work to serve Jesus, which we know is good and with good intention. And her sister is not only, only is not helping, but Jesus isn't telling her to help. Making these assumptions and judgments about others and becoming angry with them is not right. And we must be aware of these thoughts and feelings within ourselves. Satan and his influence can creep in at any time and we may not even recognize it because it's so justifiable and therefore we need to always be on the guard. So she had made the, the, the connection that, that this was um, really a temptation for her to be, she had her service and she was doing her service and it was good to feed Jesus and it was good to feed those that were there. And yet, you know, she was busy looking and seeing what someone else was doing. And she was getting angry with that person and angry with, with Jesus for not stopping it. And, and that's, I think, where she was starting to cross the line. Um, so we'll get into some specific lessons for us in today's world. But what are your takeaways, Abby, from this first story? Um, well, one of my favorite takeaways is that I just love how Jesus answers with such gentleness and not with, no, Martha, you're not asking the right thing or Mary, get up and do what you're supposed to be doing. It's uh, he's teaching Martha a lesson, but with this gentleness that I think is not, you know, very human for us, we would <laughs> respond in a very, you know, a big way, but he responded with uh, grace and love and saw uh, Martha's potential and didn't want to squash Mary's potential either. Um, another thing that I find uh, I found a lesson in is that we have to be careful not to let our faith become all about performance. Performance in the sense that we want to serve, 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 and then we forget to listen and take in what the word actually is trying to tell us. And so um, instead of making it all about service, even though you're supposed to serve, I'm not saying you shouldn't. But we also have to be in tune with what um, God is trying to tell us and what he needs from us and what we need to take in to make our hearts 
be more like his sons. All right, good. We're, we're out of time for this segment, but uh, powerful lessons about putting things in clear, clear perspective. Jonathan, what is the Mary and Martha gem from this segment? Both Mary and Martha loved, respected, and deeply desired to serve Jesus. Okay, so this story of Mary and Martha is really very simple. Two sisters who love Jesus and think differently. In spite of her absolute attachment to Jesus, Martha needed correction. What is the lesson for us? We have a simple yet powerful request for you. Can you think of someone who'd enjoy listening to this podcast? Send them a text message right now. Tell them to check out our Christian Questions podcast. That's one of the great ways to spread the word. Thank you for sharing our weekly conversation with every single person you know. Well, who you want to tell is still up to you. Thanks for texting and listening. Let's go back to Rick and Jonathan as we take a closer look at our topic. It might be easy to look at Martha from where we sit and observe how she missed an opportunity and think and then think how we would never do that. Yeah, really? We, like Martha, need to take a breath and think through the lesson presented here. I believe these lessons changed Martha, and therefore they can also change us. But you know, you can't learn the lesson unless you observe it and then make it real for you. So in this segment, what we want to do is we want to take the lessons of this difficulty. And look, Martha really was legitimately under stress. There's no question about it that she, it, all, of the, all of the comfort of everyone rested squarely just on her shoulders. And there, you know, there's, there's a justifiable sense of, of frustration. But it's what we do with that frustration. That's what Jesus teaches us how to manage. So in this segment, we have really four key soul-searching lessons from this correction uh, uh, that Jesus helped Martha to make. So Jonathan, what is the first uh, point? Discontent comes from comparing your life to someone else. Julie? You know, I heard a phrase recently from a historical lecture I attended and the phrase was, photos don't lie, but photographers can be liars. <laughs> so what that means is a snapshot in time never tells the full story of what happened immediately before and after. And so you need to be careful that when you're going to be looking at other people's lives or what other people have or don't have, we, we can't do that because everyone has a story and God works with every story. So comparisons can lead us down the wrong road. Okay, so that's a good place to start. You know, discontent comes when we start to compare. And uh, we've got to be really careful about that. And the scriptures are very clear on that. Jonathan, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, God gives you everything that you need to abound in every good work that you are supposed to do. Don't worry about the other guy. Do, do your work. Hebrews 13.5, another good text. Keep your love, lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. All right, so our first point, discontent comes from comparing your life to someone else's. Julie, more on that or do you want to go on to the second point? Well, you know, Abby, Abby said about that there's more to hospitality than everything looking perfect because hospitality should set the tone for fellowship. So fellowship was really more important here than, it, than making sure there was fresh bread. Abby, go ahead. 
Um, I think another thing that we have to keep in mind is that when we compare ourselves and especially our spiritual gifts that God has given us, like sometimes I know just as I was growing up in my teens, I'm like, oh, come on. I don't want this gift. I want that gift. It's so much more cool or whatever. It's more popular. But then if we if we do that to ourselves and we wish uh, that we have someone else's gift, we're not going to be ministering to those we need to minister to because we're too busy looking at ourselves through someone else's lens. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's oh, it. Okay. You know, see, see, that's a, such an important thing. And, and part of the lesson that Jesus was teaching is that it's different. Individuals are different. That's one of the resounding things that begins to come through in this, in this particular experience of Mary and Martha. Uh, so again, the first point, discontent comes from comparing your life to someone else's. Second point, let's go on to the second point. Jonathan, what is it? Do the most important thing first. Separate the trivial from the important lasting. Well, and Rick, this is something that you've said to us over and over and over again on various podcasts. Do the most important thing first. And so in this particular setting with Jesus, you know, how would you act if you knew you had so many days to live and your family was around you worried about, you know, how clean the living room was or if there was going to be enough potatoes? You'd want them to reprioritize, focus, and just listen to the final words that you had for them knowing that things were going to get really busy. And I can see Jesus in this mode, and that's what he was saying. I'm here now. I'm not going to be here very soon. And these words need to come out, and these lessons need to be learned. Now is the time to sit and listen. Okay. Um, do you want to go into that that next quote? Or did you, Abby, did you have a thought? Yeah. or No. Yeah, okay. we found a quote okay. uh, from... Uh, the Tyranny of the Urgent, and that's the name of the book, uh, by an author, Charles Hummel, and he had some really good advice for us. Don't let the urgent take the place of the important in your life. Oh, the urgent will really fight, claw, and scream for attention. It will plead for our time and even make us think we've done the right thing by calming its nerves. But the tragedy of it all is this. While you and I were putting out the fires of the urgent, an everyday affair, the important was again left in a holding pattern. And interestingly, the important is neither noisy nor demanding. Unlike the urgent, it patiently and quietly waits for us to realize its significance. And I just want to make a quick comment. This is such a profound paragraph about the urgent versus the important. And I will tell you unequivocally, this is one of the reasons so many marriages fail. Because the urgent things of life overshadow the important things regarding our spouse. And if you want to understand what makes something break, this is one of those things. So I just wanted to put that out there as a, as a point uh, to to just enhance the conversation. Julie, let's get back to Mary and Martha. Well, you know, this is really important for us today because of all these distractions. And I never even thought about it in the marital setting, but you're exactly right. You know, we get caught up in this. So how how with today's distractions, which come in everywhere, do we stay focused on the eternal, this good part that Jesus referred to? Jonathan, Jonathan did you have any thoughts on that? Oh, oh, definitely. Uh, my my thought was fill yourselves spiritually. 
It starts first with personal prayer life uh, with our Heavenly Father. Secondly, uh, we're admonished not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which simply means go to your Bible studies as often as you're able. Uh, our class has them twice a week, Sundays and Wednesdays. And whenever I miss one, you know, I feel it. Um, if we are single and looking for a mate, marry only in the Lord so that your spouse encourages your spiritual growth. Incorporate some of your vacation time and possibly a Bible conference, uh, in, incorporate it with your R&R &R time uh, to make it productive. Or if you go on vacation, take reading materials with you, spiritual things to help you grow and to, and to meditate on, to help you stay focused uh, and, and be pleasing to the Lord. Gee, that's all, huh? <laughs> Just a few things. Just a few things they said right off the top of your head there, man. That's pretty awesome. Abby, anything to add to that? Yeah, I do. Um, it's actually something I've been very convicted by recently. And uh, but before that, I, I really enjoyed Jonathan's points about that, like about being in tune with your brothers and sisters in Christ because they do lift you up. And um, without that time, we can't grow. And, uh, but another thing that I've found is that with technology, uh, that can be very distracting. And I find that I'm on my phone more sometimes than um, spending time with my husband. And so I don't get to connect with him on a more personal level because I'm distracted by some dumb email that really doesn't even matter in the grand scheme of things. And so I think uh, Jesus really tried to call us out of the world and wants us to look at the Bible in a view of what does God want to tell me today? Not to, what does this email mean to me today? It's what does his word mean for me today? So we, we get the idea, again, the first point, discontent comes from comparing your life to someone else's. The second point, do the most important thing first, not necessarily the most urgent, but important. Separate the trivial from the important. That's one of the messages Jesus was teaching to Martha. Jonathan, what's the third point? Keep your periscope up. Now, I thought you'd like this one, Rick. Um, this periscope, you're going to have to explain this as we go on. But, you know, in, in this particular story that's in Luke 10, many translations, including uh, King James, American Standard, and Young's Literal Translation, they open up the story with Mary was also at Jesus's feet. So that implies that Martha actually started sitting and she was starting to listen too. But in verse 40, 1040, it was Martha was cumbered, the, the uh, King James says, or the, the New American Standard says, distracted about serving. Now, what I found really interesting was this word cumbered is the Greek word uh, paraspeo. And paraspeo is special. It's special because this is the only time the word is used in the Bible. So that immediately tells us we need to focus on this big red arrow. So perispeo is, it comes from the Greek word peri, which means about or around, and the Greek word speo, which means to draw, like you draw a sword. So think about yourself with a sword and you're waving it just around your, your vicinity. You know, a sword, you're not looking 12 miles in the distance. You're literally just looking at what's in front of you. And so what this definition means is to distract, to be over-occupied, not just occupied, but over-occupied, to be too busy about a thing. So start thinking about today. We are over-occupied, yeah. and we start getting yeah. too busy about a thing, especially while this holiday season is up. 
So, Rick, how do you relate that to your periscope? Well, you know, the word perispeo, peri is where periscope comes from. You know, that's the, the, the first part of the, and it means around, okay? So that's what a periscope does. It can see around. So, you know, to me, I want to take the periscope and say, okay, let's use it in a positive sense to really find that which we're supposed to be focusing on. You know, and if you think about a periscope from a submarine and it comes up above the water and it's looking around, it's look, they're always looking for something specific and important. And if you get stuck with, oh, look at those waves over there. Let's compare them with those waves over there. You're not going to find the important thing. And so it's a matter of giving yourself the ability to focus. And that's what Jesus was really telling Martha. Let's focus on that which is the most important thing here. Okay, so I think to me that's part of where the the periscope comes in, and you know the other part of it was in this verse it says Martha you're worried and bothered about so many things. The word worried means you know she was anxious about. The word bothered means that she, you know she was disturbed, and you, and it, and it describes the word as turbid, t u r b i d. Now Julie, that's not a word that you hear too often. Boy, that was turbid. I mean, what is that? What does that mean? Well, I think we hear turbid when it comes to a description for water. Yeah. You know, a turbid water means it was murky or cloudy or thick with something. It's confused or obscured, so we can't see through it. And that's where I thought this periscope idea yeah, is a yeah. good idea because we're stuck just like Martha was, just in the immediately pounding of this bread and got to get this on the table and we've got to get all our holiday shopping up and I've got to go pick up the kids and I've got to do all this. And yet what we need to do is send that little periscope up, look around and get away from that opaque and thickness that we're dealing in and that anxiety and that what if this is going to happen? We've got to look above and we've got to not be overly anxious and overly concerned. Okay, so get above the bothered, the turbid waters to be able to see clearly. Jonathan, good scripture on this, Matthew six thirty four. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See how wise Jesus was. I mean, everything he said had such a powerful meaning. One other scripture, and then Julie will go back to you and Abby. Philippians 4, 6. In nothing be anxious. Julie, go ahead. Well, you know, in that do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow could take care of itself is something that I repeat as a mantra often because... I have a tendency to pre-freak out, you know, and, and most of the time when you freak out about something, the something never happens anyway. The percentages are really low. So I try to keep my pre-freak outs as low as possible. And I'm going to deal with what is here, what is in front of me, what I need to take care of. And I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, especially during this season. Okay. Abby, did you want to add anything there? Well, I don't feel like I should even comment on anxiety, honestly, <laughs> because that's something I've struggled with since I was a child. But um, I, I like the periscope um, picture because having anxiety is like having like the part, the viewing part in the front, the back, the side, you know, up, down, and it's like chaos. Yeah. And so uh, this is something that really rang true to me because um, anxiety drowns out God's voice and it erases and clouds the promises that he has given us throughout the scriptures. And so uh, I think that's kind of how our periscope view should be, is not having it be all over the place and spinning, but keeping it, you know, on, on the prize on God. Yeah, I, I like the way you said it. So you got you got to be able to see through the chaos to the most important thing. What is the fourth point? Because we're running out of time here for this segment. Jonathan, fourth point. 
We severely limit our blessing while doing something for the Lord while grumbling or complaining about not getting help from others by our own self-serving thoughts. See, when we start thinking and, and, and rehearsing the mess inside of our own minds and repeating it, you know, and when it said in that soundbite, Martha had had enough, well, she had had enough of her own thinking. That's what it was. It, was, it wasn't the circumstance so much as it was her own thinking. So we really need to get beyond the complaining stage. First Peter 4, 9 is a really good example of that. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Okay, so Jonathan, uh, we've got just a very short time here, and I'm going to ask you to condense your story a little bit. But you are in a situation of being hospitable without complaint that is very difficult, I might say, and, and, and unique in, in a lot of ways because your mom and your dad are living with you and your wife. And, That's right. And your dad, well, just, just quickly, give us a, a sense of, of what, 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 what are the challenges and the blessings? Well, they're both 89. My father has uh, moderate to severe Alzheimer's, and um, my mom has some depression going on where they were living, and they needed help. And so we stepped in and said, we'll, we'll help you come live with us uh, and uh, we'll take care of you the best we can. Now, Rick, to not complain means you're perfect, right? <laughs> so yeah. I can't, and Jewel and I both can't say, <laughs> we haven't complained. We're working on it. Okay. But we are thankful for the privilege because obviously the Lord has lessons for us to learn um, about uh, helping others and and focusing on others more than ourselves. And, you know, we may not have freedom to come and go like we would like, but we're doing what we need to do. And we're thankful for the, the privilege. You know, and, and, I, and I think that's really what it boils down to, is to be able to do what you need to do, to be thankful for the privilege, but to do it in that attitude of clarity, that this is my way to serve God, even if it's not my ideal way, it's still my way to serve God, because he gave it to me. What is our Mary and Martha gem for this segment? Martha's need for perspective brings insight and value to our own need for perspective. Jesus showed her the way. He will show us as well. And that is exactly reflected in Jonathan's personal story that we just heard. So these lessons show us that humanity is very much the same in spite of time and culture differences. Did all those lessons from Martha's preoccupation challenges increase her faith or discourage her. You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Sometimes we don't think of those who lived alongside of Jesus as having the same vulnerabilities and challenges as we do. We always make exceptions for the Apostle Peter, but what about Martha? Jesus' corrective words to her must have been hard to hear. So let's take a moment now and let's see how she grew, how she became the Martha that we all should be looking at and saying, what an incredible example of faithfulness, because that's who Martha really, really was, an incredible example of faithfulness. Uh, Julie, we have a, a, a soundbite, a verse of a song here that you had asked specifically to have played here, and I'm going to say that this verse actually tames the turbid waters of life. 
That's cute. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you had played this song, and this is a song from Amy Grant, uh, a Christian singer, and it's called I Need a Silent Night. And you would play this on some, Chris, some Christmas podcasts years and years and years ago, and I love this song. The song makes me cry. Um, and I played it for my husband because we were going to put it on this podcast. And I said, okay, listen to the words, listen to the words. And he's listening to the words. He's like, what? This is you. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I don't want it to be me. <laughs> I'm better than this. So this really, I thought, shows what Martha was feeling and how it relates to us today. Okay, so this this song then, again, it's called I Need a Silent Night. We're just going to play the first verse, and really it's giving us a sense of just being able to be calm and see the most important thing. I've made this same mistake before Too many malls, too many stores December traffic, Christmas rush it breaks me till I push and shove Children are crying while mothers are trying To photograph Santa and sleigh They're shopping and buying and standing forever in line What can I say? I need a silent night A holy night To hear an angel voice through the chaos and the noise I need a midnight clear A little peace right here To end this crazy day With a silent night So that's what we want to achieve as we go through this particular conversation about Mary and Martha, specifically Martha. So we're now going to go to the next event that's recorded in Scripture uh, with Mary and Martha, and that is the death and the raising of their brother Lazarus. First, we see Jesus allowing the sin and, sick, uh, the sin and sickness of this world to take its course so the glory of God will be unmistakable. And, and I look at this story of, of what we're going to read about Jesus allowing things to, to get sort of out of hand in the minds of men uh, as, as a microcosm of God's whole plan. It looks like God lets things get out of hand, but he's really got them in hand. John chapter 11, we're going to read selected verses from verses 1 through 35. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, who whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Wow, this would seem like it is something that is um, counterintuitive. Here it says he loves them, and yet he purposely stays away. And we'll learn more about that story. But what struck me is in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Notice this sentence, Lazarus as the man isn't the first one that he loves. It's Martha again. And the best part about this is that in all of the New Testament, this is the only place it directly says Jesus loves and then names the people. 
you know, it's, it, there's a there's a disciple that Jesus loves that people think it's John, but it could be Lazarus. And there's some other discussion about some other theories of who it could be, but it was never named. Jesus loved Martha. Isn't that amazing? It is. It is amazing. It is awesome. And it really what it does is it shows us the emotional connection with this family. It was palatable. And yet he stays away for the sake of God's glory. Glory. And it's interesting that Martha was mentioned by name. Lazarus was mentioned by name, and Mary was mentioned as her sister. My sister. <laughs> yeah, kind of an interesting yeah, point Yeah, that there. one. The one over there. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, let, let's get through. I want to get through the first part of this story kind of quickly so we can spend more time on the second part. So, Jonathan, let's go to the next few verses uh, as this unfolds. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. So again, Jesus puts it in perspective. I let it happen on purpose because God's glory is bigger than what you think. And that is such an important, important aspect of all of what Jesus taught, especially with Martha and with Mary. So the death of Lazarus was widely mourned. Here we again begin to see the difference between Martha and Mary. So Jesus comes back to them. And notice what Martha's first words to Jesus are here. Jonathan, the next few verses. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had been laid in a grave for four days. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. You know, it's interesting because um, let's look at let's look again where everybody is. Martha, who I really envision as the stronger of the two sisters and able to handle more, they both obviously hear that Jesus is coming, but Martha's able to get up and get out and meet him and talk to him. Mary is so overcome in her grief that it seems as though she's not even able to move. She's not able to put one foot in front of the other yet at this point. She's just still, this experience is so new to her. And so, you know, Abby and I were talking and we were trying to put ourselves in the shoes of mostly Martha, but but both sisters and trying to figure out what would this be like when you knew he had the power and yet he did nothing with it. So Abby, putting yourself in Martha's shoes, how would you have felt? Well, coming from somebody's perspective who I'm very close with my brother, I would be devastated. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would ever have responded in the uh, way that Martha does later about believing that if Jesus were there, it would have it wouldn't have happened. I would have been mad, honestly. <laughs> like you could have gotten here in time to save him. Why didn't you? I think uh, her her response was completely relatable, though, in a way. And, you know, what was interesting is because he had done other raisings, he did other resuscitations of people that, that had been dead for, you know, varying amounts of time, but never four days. Right. Like they would have thought, hey, if he was dead 10 minutes, he could do this. But four days, that body was decomposing already. So at this point, there's no hope. 
there's nothing that can be done. Lazarus is gone, and Jesus could have prevented it. Right, right. So, so, so Martha comes out, and you know she says um, to uh, Jesus, you know, um, in in the last in the last piece that we read, you know, um, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. You know, I know you could have saved him. So now let's go through the next few verses and, and get back to more of the personal application. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So Martha expresses profound faith and actually has a conversation in the face of all of this mourning. Um, this response that Martha has really struck me uh, because it was obvious she had belief in the prophecies that have been before. Um, just like uh, in Hebrews 11, 9, it talks about Abraham believing in a resurrection. And so she also believed in that resurrection. Um, I have to be honest that the resurrection didn't really feel that real to me until recently when my husband and I experienced um, a miscarriage. Uh, our grief was really rough. Um, it's still not completely over, and uh, we wanted to we wanted to get through it really fast, but that's not healthy <laughs> nor possible. Right. Um, so um, I was really touched by this story because uh, Martha uh, believing that her loved one would be resurrected it was real to her, and that she knew Jesus could do it. And it wasn't until I experienced this difficult loss that. Um, I could really relate to being excited about ha seeing our child again and that the kingdom is so much more real to me now. So it, 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 what, what happens here is Jesus lets Martha's faith come out, and it does, and he promotes it, he, he provokes it, gently provokes it, and she responds. And as a result, he is able to relay great truth about himself and God's glory because she's asking, because she's engaging, because she's present with him. And this is some of the heroism of Martha coming out right here, right now. Let's go to verse 28, Jonathan. And when she had said, she went and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. So here's another part of the heroism of, of Martha, is she has been, she's been rejuvenated. She's talked to Jesus, and he has given her hope. Now, notice he didn't say, oh, don't worry about a thing. I'll, I'll raise him now. You'll be happy in a, in a few minutes. He doesn't even hint at that. He lets her faith take show itself. And so her next instinct is to go get her sister. That's the beauty of Martha. That's the strength of Martha and her character. Julie, did you want to add anything at this point? No, okay. All right, so then let's now look into the heartbreak of Mary, because Martha says that she went and she called her sister secretly saying, okay, the master wants to talk to you. Come, come. And so now, Jonathan, 29 to 35 selected verses, and now we're looking at Martha, uh, Mary's response to this really harsh experience. 
As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly. Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So it's interesting. When Mary comes out of the house, she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died and fell to his feet. But she doesn't get any of that affirmation of faith or the big revelation that Jesus gave Martha that I am, I am the resurrection and I am the life and, and these, these, these hard truths. And this tells me that, again, Martha's probably the stronger, less emotional of the two. And she needed the strong Jesus who would give information, who would lovingly but firmly reassure her. Like you said, he would draw out her faith and build on that faith so that she would get peace, that this was not going to be the last time she saw Lazarus. But Mary, Mary needed that compassionate side, the, the person who would just sit and cry with you and go through that tough experience. And Jesus could have said, you know, Mary, it's okay. Stop crying. I'm going to raise him. Here's how it goes. He didn't. He let her mourn and feel that mourning. You know, just like Abby just said, it's not an experience that you can get over quickly. You've got to go through it. And Jesus went through this human situation with us that would be doomed to repeat over and over again at every funeral throughout every generation. Jesus was feeling that, feeling what we feel until that ransom was paid. So to me, this was a really good lesson. When we try to comfort others, helping people isn't one size fits all. There you go. Abby, you have anything you wanted to add here? Yeah, I do. I, I think uh, when we, if you've ever heard the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, we um, need to remember that he cries with us when we go through our hard times and our struggles. And he doesn't expect us just to snap out of whatever emotions we might be feeling. And I like how he responds to Martha in the way that fits her. She, he met her where she was at, but he also met Mary where she was at. And she needed that mutual um, mourning and grief. You know, and, and the, the, the beautiful part of this is neither one of them was wrong in where they were. They were just different. And Jesus could see the difference and could fill the difference in each one as they needed. And for him to enter into, you know, and, and you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a common, th- uh, common uh, saying that the shortest scripture in the Bible is this verse here, verse 35, where it says, Jesus wept. Two words. But those two words, when you think about what they encapsulate, is it what it means is he entered into the grief of those around him, and he owned the grief as well. And that's part of his drawing Mary out, giving her comfort, because to her, the words would not have been comfort, but the weeping was the comfort. And then came the drama of the raising of their brother, which was beyond what they could have even begun to have expected there. So Jonathan, what is our Mary and Martha gem for this segment? Both Mary and Martha were given exactly what they needed from Jesus before the raising of their brother from the dead. Their experience shows us that Jesus knows all. Okay, so their experience 
the two sisters, they show us that Jesus knows us in our situations and our circumstances as well. It seems the deeper the drama, the more we see the character differences between these two sisters. Martha has shown wonderful faith and growth. Did Mary's experience produce the similar results? There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry, we never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. By now, it's obvious how important these sisters are to us. They truly define the different ways we each relate to Jesus and the power with which Jesus can relate to us as we need him to. They really let us know that following Jesus is not a cookie-cutter walk. Rather, it is a personal path that we traverse alongside of others. And your steps are not exactly my steps. And thank goodness for that. And our needs are met. We are shown that through the experiences of Jesus with Martha and with Mary. So our final viewpoint on the Martha and Mary story is the experience where Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Uh, And this really was the close of Jesus' earthly ministry. He opened it three and a half years previous at a wedding, and if you remember the experience, he turned water into wine to symbolize the joy of the gospel that he would carry. And he closed his ministry with this touching anointing to prepare him for death, the necessary sacrifice required to fully deliver the joy of the gospel that his ministry started with. And it's interesting, his very first miracle was provoked by his mother, okay? And this last event was provoked by Martha and Mary. Now, everybody thinks it's just Mary, but it's Martha and Mary, and we're going to see that unfold. So uh, let's get into the, the verses on this. And Julie, did you have any, any introductory comments? That, no? Okay. All right, so let's just get into the verses. Let's observe how each of the sisters has grown in their spiritual maturity and each continues in what they are gifted to do. And, and Abby mentioned this before. Sometimes we get tied up in, oh, I, you know, I don't want this gift, I want that one. But each is gifted in what they have and these sisters learned how to use that in a very, very powerful way. Uh, this, this time, all with focus and fellowship in the forefront of their minds. We're going to see Martha serve the physical needs with great, great humility. And and we're going to go into John chapter 12, and right now, Jonathan, let's just do verses 1 and 2. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany with Lazarus, was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Okay. So this completes the circle of Jesus' experience. You know, we mentioned his mother had prodded him to start the ministry uh, with with that miracle. And a woman here, Mary, is going to be closing the ministry because the day after he is going to be uh, going riding into Jerusalem. And that's the final final, uh, week of his life. So what's impressive is everybody has grown to show their true colors. They are stable in who they are now. Martha... You notice it says Martha was serving. So you think, well, wait, now Jesus was telling her, you know, don't be so overwrought with serving. 
but you see Martha serving. And so what we, we need to be able to understand from that is she's serving with grace and humility and joy. There is no overwrought anymore. She gets it. And she's serving, and I truly believe she's serving with, with like, like the joy of service just like beaming out of her at this point. Uh, you know, and she sees this, this grace and privilege, and it opens the door. It opens the door for Mary to be able to do the anointing. And Lazarus was there all the time fellowshipping. Yeah, so then because of, because of Martha, Mary is allowed to do this act that we're going to see. And I think that that's where the beauty of the relationships of these sisters come in. You know, they're kind of a yin and a yang. They're, they're, a, they're a one side and the other, but together they're serving Jesus and they're right where they belong. And her service was to nourish him because he needed nourishment because right. things were going to be tough coming up. And that's what she was doing to serve. And her gift was that gift. And he appreciated that. And so really Martha in this case is a, is a, is a hero because she's able to allow Mary to do her act. Rick, I know you have considered long considered your, your wife, Trisha to be a hero because of this type of situation, what 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 were you saying before? Well, you know, in, in my own experience, here, here here's the thing. And you know, to be just very blunt, look, we have had this privilege of doing this podcast. It used to be radio for twenty years. We've been every week been able to talk about the gospel and you know to to just bring the good news to whomever will listen. How does that happen? It, it doesn't happen just because we're able to do this. It happens because, for me, this is a lot of work, and Jonathan mentioned it before. It, it, take, it takes a, a lot of work to put one of these podcasts together and to do it every week, week after week after week after week after week after week after week. You get the point. Is a huge challenge in life. I could not do it without my wife because what she does is she's not the voice behind the microphone. But she's the power behind the voice, behind the microphone, because she paves the road for me every single day. She makes my life where I don't have to worry about a lot of the extraneous things that have to be dealt with. She, she takes care of things. She makes sure that I have the time and the space to do the study and the preparation that I need every single day. And, you know, and this isn't just once in a while. This is all the time. So when I think of Martha serving with this, with this beaming privilege, I think of my own wife because she gives me the ability to do what I do. This is a, God has given me the ability to communicate, and he's given me this incredible, incredible venue to work with all of the other Christian Questions volunteers, but I couldn't do it, not one day, not one day without my own Martha. So I get the value of the hero behind the scenes. I really do. Um, so <laughs> she didn't know I was going to say that. She just came into the room. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's so important to understand the heroism of Martha. So let's go now take a look at Mary and the service that she is able to perform because Martha is there. Jonathan, verse 3 of John chapter 12. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
you know, and we look at that part of the experience and we all lock onto it because it's so profound and so beautiful, but both are engaging in the necessary service uh, that they're capable of doing and both are equally blessed. You know, Abby was talking before about what, what women were like in that culture and wiping with her hair was probably very scandalous for that day. That's a very intimate thing. And and it's a, such an act of humility. You know, she could have just grabbed a towel and wiped it, but she actually used the crown for her glory to go ahead and wipe the feet where the dust is and where the dirt is. That's a really amazing picture. Yeah, you know, and, and it shows you the humility. Now remember, Mary's the one that didn't have the strength to even get up and go see Jesus when her brother had died. She was the one who was so overwrought, she just couldn't manage. And now she is stepping out in an even more bold way. You know, Abby, when, when we started the podcast, you were talking about her stepping out and it looked kind of like, whoa, what is she doing here? But this is going even further than just sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is actively engaging, and Julie, like you said, in a, in a way that is just deep and attached and she wasn't worried. You know, that, that's the beauty of it. There was no worry. Why? Because it's Jesus. And he had proven himself to understand the heart of every man, woman, and child that ever crossed his path. Mary and Martha were powerful friends of his and really, really was a very, very extraordinary experience that they were having there. So in the midst of all of this, let's continue with the verses because these verses in John chapter 12, to me, are verses that tell us who everybody really is. They explain Martha, she's serving with gladness. They explain Lazarus, he is fellowshipping, he is connected to his Lord. And they explain Mary as she is, is being sacrificial and humble and serving in a different way. She's serving Jesus, just in a very different way than Martha is serving. Somebody else's true colors come through in this story, and it's not a coincidence that we have it all together. The sad character of Judas comes through. Again, Jonathan, let's go to John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. So, uh, Julie, any, any thoughts, observations on Judas and his... his <laughs> he's like he messes up a perfectly good story, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there's always a good villain. Um, so 300 denarii, though, that is a full-time... Uh, they said it was about a, about one year's wages. Now, a full-time minimum wage worker here in the United States makes roughly $15,000. Not to side with Judas, but that's a lot of money to use in a single setting. That money really could have gone to feed a lot of poor people. So this kind of always didn't quite sit with me. How How is it that she was able to spend $15,000 on this perfume? And it was, it was the better service. You know, it... And you say, well, how, 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 how was it that it happened in that way? And Jesus was going to die. This was the Savior of the world whose mission was about to be accomplished days from then. And this 
served to take care of what they wouldn't have time to do to properly bury him later. There wasn't enough time to go through all of this as with, with the same, with the same um, uh, detail that they would have. So Jesus saw this as God's overruling to honor his sacrifice through the humility and service of that woman who was willing to sit there and wipe his feet with her hair. So that's how it, ha- it came to be. You have the Savior of the world. And further, Judas wasn't interested in the poor. You know, he used them as an excuse, but the scripture tells us that's not what he was concerned about. He figured that could be an awful lot of money that nobody would miss pieces of along the way if I could just get my hands on it. True colors. Martha's true colors came through. Serve. Mary's true colors came through. Serve. Judas's true colors came through. Take. That's what we have. At the end of Jesus' ministry, everything is, is exposed for what it truly is. So Jesus prepared those who would follow him to be able to cope. They, he knew that what was coming was difficult. The one who decided not to follow him was the one who couldn't be settled. And Jonathan, again, let's go to um, the end of this uh, event. John chapter 12, uh, verses 7 and 8, and then a couple of verses from Matthew, the same account. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And then Matthew adds, For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Okay. Final thoughts or comments? Did you want to drop that other soundbite in here? Uh, yeah, real real quick. So this is that second time that Mary doesn't jump to defend her actions. Did you notice Jesus does it for her? Because yeah. she's content that her heart's doing the right thing. Yep. And it's also interesting that she's picking up on the fact that he's going to die. When his, his disciples had been arguing in Luke 9 and Luke 22 about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, she's focusing on that he's about to die. And I think in many cases, women are more intuitive. And so we have an advantage when it comes to absorbing the gospel message and really understanding the love that it took for God to sacrifice his son on our behalf. Okay. So, um, so we thought, um, we had, you know, Abby talked about her brother and her love for her own brother. And um, we had asked if he would sing us one of his favorite camp songs. So this is Tim, Abby's brother. And this is about Mary. What is this fragrant sweet Flowing through the crowded room It is Mary with my dear master She's anointing his head with perfume. The memory of her sweet sacrifice lingers on like a perfume red. A memorial of her unselfish love. She had done what she could for him there. 
And that really sums it up. She hath done what she could. Jonathan, what is our final Mary and Martha gem? And then we're going to ask for final comments from our two, uh, two sisters here. Both Mary and Martha grew from being true friends of Jesus into becoming true friends who were well-equipped to serve and honor and bless him without reservation. All right, Julie and or Abby, final thought. Well, the first time we met Mary and Martha, what I thought was interesting is their their story is described in less than 100 words. And yet it led us, Abby and I, to personally discover a lesson on top of lessons of how it's relevant to us today. And what do the other women in the Bible have to teach us? Well, watch for future programs, hopefully, on our inspiring sisters. Okay, thank you. Abby, any final thoughts? And we just got a few seconds here. Okay, um, I think this whole story goes to show that God sees more in us than our, the learning curve of um, what we're what we think we're capable of. He knows we're capable of more and that um, as followers of Christ, we're called to much more than we could ever think we could do. All right, Abby and Julie, thanks so much for your participation here. You have made Martha and Mary come alive. You've made them heroes in the minds of all of us. Heroes not just to the women in the audience, but to the men in the audience as well because they show us how to be faithful. They show us how to stand up and stand for Jesus in a way that is utterly inspiring. Thanks so much to both of you. Folks, look, are you a Martha or a Mary? And even if you're a man, you should be asking yourself that same question, because how is it that you can best serve your Lord and Master? For Jonathan and Rick and Julian Abbey, until next week, Martha and Mary, true heroes. Think about it. And folks, listen, we really do want to hear back from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about what does it mean to be saved? Now that is a question, I will tell you, that a lot of circles of Christianity do not understand the answer to. We'll talk to you about it next week.